Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this time to gather. Thank you for blessing Gabby and Justin with little Ezra Jude. We pray that he would follow in the footsteps of the faith of his parents and follow you, Lord Jesus, all his days. And we pray for these three who indicated a new leg in life. And we ask that you will be with them there, that they will walk with you, that you will be their God, that they will be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus. Would you use them to shine light and draw others to know you as their God and their Savior? Thank you now, our Father, that we have Bibles, we have your word, we can read them, we can preach from them, we can hear the preaching. We pray that this would be profitable to our souls. So may the Holy Spirit, the spirit of illumination, give light to our hearts that we understand your word and rise up to be doers and not hearers only, for we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read beginning in verse 17. A little longer than usual pre-sermon scripture reading to give us some context for the new section we're heading into. So Ephesians 4, 17 down through 25. This is God's word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. Again, this is God's word. Let's go to Ephesians 4.20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. So what is not the way? The things that went before that, especially they ended in this. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. In other words, Paul's, Paul's expectation here, Paul's assertion that he's making here is this, that you having learned about Christ and having believed on the Lord Jesus and having turned to follow him, that here's part of what you learned. You learned that that former manner of life of mine, when I used to give myself up to sensuality, when I was greedy to practice every kind of impurity, I understood because of the person sharing the gospel with me told me the salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing. Jesus Christ paid the whole cost. He shed his blood on Calvary's cross, and that's the whole cost. But when you call upon the name of the Lord, you become his disciple. You become his follower. And there are 1,000 plus commands waiting for you in the New Testament that will be your commands. You don't perform them to earn righteousness with God. You don't perform them to gain entrance into his kingdom. You perform them because you have a new heart. 
You perform them because you have new loves. You perform them because Jesus Christ is now your Lord and your sovereign. And you perform them because you love him and want to be pleasing in his sight. You want to do his will. So if you were taught Christ and you were taught Christ correctly, that's what you learned about Christ. You, in other words, you didn't learn. And sometimes this is how people hear a gospel. They hear a gospel, which is another gospel, which is not the true gospel. Well, it's half and half. They say that gospel says, well, you're saved by grace alone. Wonderful. And then it's all grace. And you may or may not follow Christ very faithfully. You might not live very well as a, very much as a Christian, but it's, it's all grace and there's really nothing you have to do. Any commands would be law and you're not under law. You're not under any commands. There's nothing you have to do to be following Christ. This goes so far as there was a, a well-known seminary professor in a very well-known seminary in the south of our nation. Let's just leave it there. And he actually went so far as to teach this view that he said you could actually even be, you could get to the point where you no longer believe in Jesus Christ, but you would be an unbelieving believer. Yeah, try to wrap your head. Don't even try to wrap your head around that. You would be an unbelieving believer, but you'd still be saved because it's all grace, 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 grace. So Paul's trying to tell us that it is all of grace, but the grace that saves you also comes in power and changes you. And where we don't see God's grace changing you, then we don't believe God's grace has saved you. We don't believe it's come to you in power. That is not the way you learned Christ. He spells this out in Titus chapter 2, and let me put it up here for you, and I'll read it to you, Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared. Thank God for that. Amen. We know about salvation by grace. That has appeared. And here's what it does. Bringing salvation for all people, for all people who will call upon the name of the Lord, that grace brings them salvation. But then notice what else that grace does. The grace of God has appeared, dot, 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 training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The grace of God that saves you is also the grace of God that changes you. Saving grace, the message of saving grace also tells you, and as a saved person, you will be called upon to renounce ungodliness, to renounce those worldly passions, and to live in this way, self-controlled, upright, and godly in the present age. So the idea that you can believe and not change, the idea that you can believe and not follow Christ is not a biblical idea at all. If you had any such notion, please allow me to disabuse you of that notion. It's all by grace, and the grace that saves you invariably changes you. So let's go on to the next verse in Ephesians 4. It's verse 21, and Paul says, assuming, so this is all true, that's not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is, in Jesus. So this is the grace that saves you. That's not the way you learned Christ. You learned a Christ that's going to, he is going to change you. Assuming that you have heard about him, assuming you were taught in him, assuming your teaching was as the truth is in Jesus. So we're assuming a number of things there. Let's talk about them. Paul's assuming that you've heard about him. Let's just take this moment, Cornerstone Church, let's be very clear that people need to hear the gospel. This thing about preach the gospel, use words if necessary, 
No, line your birdcage with that one. That's not true. That's not, that's not right. They must hear the words. They must hear the words of the Bible. This idea that they can be somewhere else and never hear the name of Jesus, but somehow come in some other door, false. They must hear. Paul writes, assuming that you have heard about him. It all starts when you hear about him. Amen? Started when you heard about him. So Paul writes some more about this in Romans. Let me flip over there. I don't have it to put up for you. Just listen. Paul says, so example, how they need to hear. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Rhetorical question. Answer is they can't believe in him of whom they've never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, Old Testament quote, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So Paul is arguing over there in Romans that, look, we need people to hear the message of the gospel in order that they can be saved. No hearing, no, no saved. So he says, this is assuming you've heard about him. That's the first thing we're going to assume about you. And here's the second thing, and assuming that you were taught in him. So the people who led you to Christ, did they lead you to Christ and say, that's it. Now you're a Christian. You've got the whole thing figured out and that's all there is. Go in peace. No, they said, now there's some things we have to teach you. Actually, there's a whole lot we have to teach you. We have to teach you all the whole counsel of God. We have to teach you the Old Testament, and we have to teach you the New Testament. We have to teach you all the do's and all the don'ts of the Bible. There's about a thousand of them in the New Testament waiting for you. Are you sure you want to be a Christian? It's by grace. But as soon as you sign on by grace and you're saved by grace, then the Lord says, now you're my follower. I have some commands for you. There's a thousand of them. So we're assuming that, you were, that you've heard about him and that you were taught in him as the truth in Jesus. You could be taught falsely about Jesus. You could be taught just cry up grace and live however you want and it's all the grace and God will be happy. You could teach that. You could hear that. But that's not what Paul's assuming. He's assuming you were taught as the truth is in Jesus. And for that, people need to hear and they need to be taught the truth. So we see that in the Bible. They're always teaching truth. The Old Testament prophets, they're always teaching truth. John the Baptist came preaching and teaching truth. The Lord Jesus came preaching and teaching truth. All of his apostles, what are they always doing? Preaching and teaching truth. What do they do in their epistles? Pre teaching truth so that the preachers can use their books and preach truth. So it's all preaching and teaching truth. So people need to hear, and one of the ways God has chosen by which they might hear is somebody preaching the word, somebody preaching the gospel in a church service or somewhere else similar to this. So I just want to pause here and just tell you, in case you didn't realize this, I'm really in favor of preaching. Like, I, you didn't notice that, did you? I really, I really like preaching. I really like the teaching thing. And I'm emphasizing that right now because I met with somebody last week and bless the Lord, I like them, they're a nice guy and all that, good time together, we had coffee and talk. But he was telling me that in his view, preaching and teaching isn't a very good way to instruct people and it doesn't lead very much to life change. And what we should really do instead, it would be better if instead we just had groups where we have discussion and everybody gets to share their views and may the best views win. And I just had to tell him, well, I don't believe with you one bit, brother, and told him why. This verse and this verse and that passage. What about, you know, preach the word? 
be instant, in season and out of season, meaning whether they want to hear it or whether nobody wants to hear it, you just stand up and preach anyway. Your wife can say amen. The room's empty. She's there. All right? Instant, in season and out of season. Paul says to Timothy, until I come, give attention to reading the text, to explaining the text, and to applying the text. That's a pastor's main job description. That's what we're to be found doing all the time. So I want you to be clear on that. I don't want any more of you to come to me one day and say, Pastor Steve, we don't think preaching is really the thing. We really think you ought to just have groups and we all get to share our views. No, we're not going to go there, Lord willing. You'd have to kill a couple of us guys, wouldn't they? Some of the pastors of this church. So Paul's saying, now I assume that you've been somewhere where you've heard the gospel and you were taught about Jesus as the truth is in Jesus. Okay, so what were you taught? Let's go to the next verse, Ephesians 4.22. And here's what you were taught. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Wow, that's a mouthful. What a verse. But here's what you were taught. You were taught to, to put off. And let's just take a minute and also notice in a few verses later, you're going to be taught to put on. So there's what you were taught by the person who shared Christ with you or by the church that preached to you and led you to the gospel, led you to the Lord Jesus. You were taught that salvation is going to be by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it's the free gift of God, eternal life is. And then you were taught, but once you receive that gift, Christ becomes your Savior. He becomes your Lord. You get a new heart. The Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. You get the Word giving you His will. And your heart is now, your new heart is inclined to do that will. And I just want you to know, they told you, it's going to be like there's a thousand New Testament commands, not to mention many in the Old Testament that still carry over. So the Christian life, I want you to know, we're, we're taking what's here put off, and we're taking what comes later put on, and the Christian life is one of constant, 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 never-ending, putting off and putting back on. You have to put it off like, it's, like it smells bad. You ever have a shirt, smells bad, and you say, man, I got to take that shirt off. What if a skunk sprayed your shirt? Would you take it off? I think you would take it off. Debbie and I were backpackers when we were first married. We were out backpacking once, sleeping at night in our tent somewhere out in the Shenandoah Mountains there and the Blue Ridge Mountains. And I heard this noise outside of the tent. So I unzipped the tent, got my flashlight. And I had my backpack leaning against a stick, sitting upright, right outside the tent door so I could get food out in the morning and all that. And all I could see was there was a skunk's tail coming out of the backpack. So I turned off the flashlight. I zipped the door. I lay back down. I'm not messing with him, right? He can eat whatever he wants to in there. I don't want to smell like a skunk. But when you come to Jesus Christ, you smell like a skunk. There's lots of stench. There's lots of the world on you. And so you're going to spend the rest of your life putting off and putting off and putting off the stinky skunk clothes. And the thing about, thing about it is there can be something that you put off today. And guess what? You wake up tomorrow and it's on again. And you put it off and you wake up the next day and it's on again. And the rest of your life, you might have what the Puritans called your bosom sins. They said every believer has different ones, but you have a bosom sin that, that wants to come and get you again and again and again and again. And you're probably going to fight that your whole life. It might be you're an angry person. That's your bosom sin. You're going to have to fight that anger. Put it off. But the Christian life is putting off. But then you don't just stay with no shirt. It's also putting on. 
So there's this whole thing of you put off, but then you don't just live in a vacuum. Then you have to put on something else. It's like this. So what if I was a thief? Was anybody in here a thief? Don't raise your hand. You were a thief. And so you were stealing things. Well, the Bible addresses you later in this chapter, and it says, here's a put on and a put off. It says, let him who stole steal no more, but rather, let's rehabilitate him now. He's not just a thief out of business. He didn't just stop, but he's living in a vacuum waiting to fall into it again. But rather, let him labor, working with his hands, that he may have to give to him who has a need. So here's a question. When is a thief no longer a thief? The answer, we can get help for the answer by that old, that old saying, when is a door not a door? And what's the answer? When it's a jar. In other words, when it becomes something else. Ha, ha, ha. Okay. When is a thief no longer a thief? When he becomes something else. What's the other thing he needs to become? He needs to become a person who says, I'm going to work to make more money than I need so I can use some of my discretionary funds and give it to people who have a need. Now that's a thief rehabilitated. So the entire Christian life operates like that. There are things you need to put on, put off rather, but you don't just then leave a vacuum so that can come back in. You become the opposite. So you are an angry person. You, you become the biggest sweetheart in the church. You were a covetous person. You just become so content. I know how to abase and I know how to abound. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. So there's this dynamic, and it comes out here in Ephesians 4, and I wanted to talk about it a bit. He told us to put off your old self. Soon he's going to tell us to put on. And I want you to know there's everything you have to put off in the Christian life. There's a put on for it. You need to be putting off and putting on. So... Uh, how, do, how do I do that? Let me read you a verse for how I do that. How do I find strength to put off and put on? How can I do that better? Because I'm failing. Well, here's a great verse about that. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Two verses. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here you go. Work out your own salvation. He's talking to you, and he's telling you to work. You're not working for salvation, but you're working the outworkings of your salvation, which are a changed life. And you work on that. It's not somebody else is going to work on that. It's you. The commandment is to you. Work out your own salvation and do it with fear and trembling, holy reverence to a holy God. For, because, here's how that can work, it is God who works in you. So when you put off something and you put on its opposite, guess who did that? Well, you did it, but God did it working in you. And he works in you both to will, he works on your willer, so you will new things. I don't will to do that anymore. I now will to do that. I actually hate doing that. I still fall into it sometimes, but I hate it. Smelling like a skunk when I'm done with that again. I will new things, the will of God. He works in you to change your willer, that part of you that wills, and he works in you to change your doer, to work on you, to work for his good pleasure. So he gives you strength to will new things, and he gives you the ability to do new things by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. This is how we become more like Christ. So I want to pause here and just, just put up on the screen for you and talk about for a few minutes what I'll call false theories of sanctification. Now, if you're kind of new to all this and you know, oh, there's a new word. I don't know that word. Church should never use a word. I don't know. Wrong. 
You expect to learn some things you don't know, right? Like if I go to a, if I go to a meeting and it's going to be about physics, I expect to not know anything they're talking about, right? There's a lot I'm going to have to learn there. So if you're new to the Christian faith, there's more than three words in the Christian faith. There are some words that have more than three syllables, and you come as a learner and you say, I will learn that word. Good. So what is sanctification? It is how a Christian becomes more holy. The word sanctified simply means holy. It's a Greek word, hagiazo. Some places it's translated holy. Some places it's translated sanctified. It's the same word. It just means you're becoming more like Christ. You're becoming more holy. You are holy, positionally. You're a saint. Now you're going to become more of what you are. You're going to become more holy and become more saintly. But there are some false theories of sanctification. Three of them I'll present to you quickly, and then we'll move on. The first one has been called perfectionism. Perfectionism. Now, perfectionism says you can have something happen to you in your Christian life so that by it you become sinless. You be, I know. Give me. Where is that? You become perfect. There have actually been quite a few and some very eminent Christians. who believe. Have you heard of Charles Wesley? He was a great evangelist, wrote hymns and stuff. Uh, he believed in perfectionism. And his view was that it was a second work of grace that you need to experience in your life. So the first work of grace is you were saved by grace. But then you need to aspire to a second work of grace that is going to perfect you so that you can live sinlessly from then on. And he actually believed you could do that. I don't know how anybody could possibly believe they could do that, but they did. All right, so there's one, perfectionism. You can line your birdcage with that too, all right? Here's a second one. I'm calling it, others have called it, the carnal Christian theory. Here's the carnal Christian theory. Are there things that are called carnal Christians in the Bible? There are. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Who was Paul addressing, and in what ways were they identified as being carnal? What were their characteristics as carnal Christians? Well, they were very involved in church, probably very involved in leadership in church. They were really into the preaching. They were really into the teaching. And the thing that was carnal about them was they were saying, my favorite teacher is better than yours. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. And Paul says, are you not carnal behaving like mere men? Their carnal was not what people make it into. People extrapolate from that somehow that you can be saved, you can be a believer. A little Johnny, I remember when Johnny prayed the prayer, he was only four. And maybe he really was saved, but we'll, we'll see over time, won't we? But now Johnny's at a point where he has no interest in Jesus Christ whatsoever. He never goes to church. He never cracks a Bible. He never prays. He's living like the devil on the earth. But, ah, oh, dear Johnny, I remember when he prayed the prayer. He's saved. He's just a carnal Christian. Well, you can't take 1 Corinthians 3 and arrive at that as a definition of a carnal Christian. You can't live with no interest in Christ, no spirituality, no interest in the Bible, no interest in the things of God, and say, oh yeah, but I'm saved, I'm a carnal Christian. No, you're probably one of those in Matthew chapter 7 that Jesus says that the last day I'll say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. But there's this carnal Christian theory. It's a vile theory. Put it in your birdcage, too. And then here's the third one. Third one has been called quietism. It, it is what it sounds like. Quietism means just, just be quiet. Just be still. Let go and let God. Like, what it really says is, quit trying. Say, well, I'm trying to quit being a liar, and I'm starting to, trying to become a truth teller, but I keep failing, and I keep telling lies. 
Well, the problem is you have to quit trying, they're told. All right, so I'm going to quit trying. And, and see, when I was a young believer, somebody gave me a book and it was all about this. So I thought, all right, I'm going to try really hard to quit trying. Wait a minute, but that's me trying really hard to quit trying. So, so I need to be another me that's going to try really hard to not try to not try. It gets very convoluted. Furthermore, it's not what the Bible says. The Bible never says, there's not like one command in the New Testament, quit trying. No, there's a thousand commands in the New Testament to tell you, do these. Don't do those. So quietism is not what the Word of God teaches either. Stop trying. But the Bible teaches, well, we already saw it. I'm going to show it to you again, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Here's what the Bible teaches. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You're saved. Now work it out. Live it. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You work as hard on your sanctification as if God was not working on it at all. And God is working so faithfully on your sanctification that it's as if you are not working at all. But in fact, you're both working. You work, for it is God who works. That's the biblical view on sanctification. Peter chimes in, and I just want you to notice, Peter gives commands. Peter puts the responsibility on you to do things, not just to back away and be passive, not just to be quiet, not just to say, let go and let God. Here's what Peter writes, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Now stop there. What does that mean? That means work hard. Work really hard at this. What? Giving all diligence. Add to your faith. You've got saving faith. Good. You're a new believer. Good. You're in Christ. Good. Now build on that. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, <gasps> to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. Wow. Add that. The list could be way longer. Well, why should I? Because for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren, you can be, nor unfruitful, you can be, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, maybe even to blindness, can't even see the things of God, and has forgotten that he was, quote, cleansed from his old sins, 1 Peter 1, 5 through 9. So back to Ephesians 4.22. Let's show it and see where we are. Let's remind ourselves, here's what we launched from. Paul tells us to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's what we're to do. Now that we re-anchored ourselves in Ephesians 4, am I going to tweak you too much? I want to show you another parallel passage. We just saw one from Peter. Now I want to show you another one in Colossians chapter 3. Okay? You all right? You going to stay with me? Anybody hot? Yeah. <laughs> you ought to be the one preaching. <laughs> Colossians 3. Therefore, put to death. So over in Ephesians 4, he said, put off. Here he says, kill it. Slay it. Like in Romans, mortify it. I heard a preacher long ago said, cut its throat. That's what you're supposed to do here. Put to death. It's stronger than put off. Just kill that thing. It keeps coming back and coming back. Kill it. Put to death your members. Remember, Jesus talked to you about your members. He said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. 
And he's speaking in hyperbole, of course. He doesn't really mean pluck out eyes. He means deal radically with things in your Christian life. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Now we get a list. What members are you talking about? Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off. So first, put to death, then put off about the same things. Put off all of these. Put off anger. Let me just pause on that one. There might be someone in this room who's an angry person. And you name the name of Christ, but you erupt at your wife. You erupt at your kids. You erupt at your husband. You're an angry person. The Bible's speaking to you today. And the Bible says, you're supposed to put that off. That smells like the old you. That smells like skunk. You're to put that off and you're, become, you're to become sweet and gracious and kind and self-controlled and thoughtful and generous. Put it off. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, put that off. Don't lie to one another. You liar, stop lying. Don't lie to your husband. Don't lie to your wife. Don't lie to your parents. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds. You've put him off, now put him off. You've put on Christ, now put him on. And you've put on the new man who is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. So back to Ephesians 4. We're to put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now let me just step back and remind you for a minute, kind of where we began today. Paul is saying... I'm assuming that you were taught all this when you heard about saving faith in Jesus. I'm assuming they also taught you you have to put off and put on. I'm assuming they did that. In other words, now my terminology, let's assume that they, they exposed you to real biblical Christianity and its rigorous demands. So in other words, Paul's assuming that you didn't get saved in a context where they only told you, grace, grace, Jesus will save you, and they didn't tell you, and once you're saved, here's a thousand commands, and I see from your life, here's the one you need to hear about most, and so once you're in Christ, you really need to work with that. No, Paul's assuming, I'm assuming they exposed you to the real thing. Here's what I want to say from that. This is my opportunity to say this. Christian churches and Christian evangelists need to expose would-be converts to the demands of following Jesus Christ. Amen. They need to help them to count the cost. They need to say, look, I want you to understand salvation is free. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing. But when you sign on, when you say, yes, Lord, me, he has a whole thousand or more commands for you. And you'll be responsible to follow him and love him and by the grace of his spirit and power of his spirit, do those things. So we don't, we don't present a false little external view to our would-be converts that holds back the hard parts. So here's what I mean. Let's say, uh, let's say you want to go hunt grizzly bears. How many of you would love to hunt grizz? I would hunt grizz from a distance with a high-powered rifle, with a guide who knows how to keep me alive. I would love to hunt grizz. 
So you're going to hunt grizz, and you say, man, I want to be exposed to real, I want to hunt real grizz. I want a like nine-foot-tall bear going, and I want to shoot him. Take me out to shoot some grizz. But he's thinking to himself, you know, I, I know people. I know the real grizz will scare him off, and he won't become a grizz hunter. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to expose him to like an entry-level grizz hunt. So he's got this, this big gymnasium. It's air-conditioned. The lights are on. It's nice in there. And they have cardboard trees that are painted to look like trees and some rocks, that look, cardboard rocks. They look like rocks. And, and they've got little teddy bears. Here, there's one, one on that rock. He's sitting there. Here's one that's tied to a tree, standing by the tree. And, and they give you a Nerf gun. You've got little purple or green Nerf bullets. And you walk around in the air conditioning with little teddy bears. And they say, now, when you shoot one, you shoot it because it's a grizz. So you go up and you go, oh, there's a grizz. Beep. And you say, I got it. I've been grizz hunting. But something in your mind makes you think, I thought there was more to it than that. Like, I thought a grizz was, what do they weigh, 900 pounds? I don't know. Great. Yeah, I thought they were big and had huge claws, and they're really powerful. So are you sure you exposed me to the real thing? Churches must not create little uh, air-conditioned <laughs> gymnasiums with, yeah, with, with, with entry-level grizz-style instruction, like teddy bear instruction. When somebody comes to church, maybe they come because they've been thinking, hmm, maybe I need the Jesus. Maybe it's Jesus I need. Why else would they visit? I'm, I've been think, you've been talking to them, and they're thinking, maybe I, maybe I want this Jesus, but I realize if I go for Jesus right now, if I pray this prayer with you, it's probably going to mean church, isn't it? I better go check out church. Now, when they come to church, it better be church. Don't show them a teddy bear model of church. And then sometime later, I don't know when that would be. I don't know where that would be that you would do that. But then sometime later, you say, oh, by the way, that wasn't real church. Over here, we have real church for you. And they go, whoa, bait and switch, man. You didn't tell me about all these commands. You didn't tell me that the Spirit of God would want me to work on that and change that and put off that once I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. So we don't want to be teddy bear church. We want to be grizz hunting church. All right? So that, so that Paul could say of us, assuming uh, you, you heard the truth and were instructed. Let me get it right here. Uh, I've got to go all the way back to there. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So Cornerstone Church, let's be the Grizz Church. Paul says to the Ephesian elders, Acts chapter 20, he's in a meeting with them. Last time he'll ever see them. He's giving them his final charges. And as part of that charge, he says to them, you remember... So remember and model what I did. You remember how I did not shrink back. He uses that phrase twice. Did not shrink back, proclaiming to you anything that was profitable. And then he goes on, dot, dot, dot. And I proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. Everything this book says on every topic they need to hear about you better proclaim it to them. You don't hold it back and say, well, we won't tell them that part because that won't fly these days. We won't tell them that or they'll never want Jesus. No, they need to know if you're coming to Jesus, you're going to get that. That command's going to come your way. Are you all understanding me? Are you all following me? All right, thank you for that. So 
back to Ephesians 4, and let's go on, new verses, verses 23 and 24. And here's what you were taught, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, so you're not thinking like the old man, and to put on, there it is, and you put on the new self, you are a new self, but now you got to put them on. And the new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You're becoming more like God. You're becoming more like Christ. You're being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Yesterday you were angry and saying bad words to your family. And today you're saying, Lord Jesus, help me to put that off and to say gracious words, wise words, patient words, constructive words, healing words. Lord, help me to put off and to put on. So, it's hot. I'm going to skip a little bit. You want mine for once, right? 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15. I'm almost done. We're going to close with this. Peter writes, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And that is a good summary of what this message has been about. So could it be, I imagine it is so, that during this sermon, the Holy Spirit has been tapping some of you on the shoulder and saying, um, that's you. This part of the word is for you. There's that thing. You and I both know about that thing. You need to get busy putting that off. You need to get serious. And you need to get busy and serious putting on its replacement so that you're being renewed to be the new man that you already are in Christ. The grace of God saves you and the grace of God changes you. Not perfectly yet. But noticeably, substantially, really, this is what you've been taught in Christ. In him, I'm going to put off and I'm going to put on. Father, thank you for giving us this time to look at your word. We pray that it will have its intended effect in each of our lives. Lord, change us, fashion us, shape us. Put anything off of us you want to. Put anything on in us you want to. We're a people for your possession, a people for your praise. May your will be done in our lives. And may men and women and boys and girls in this building today and hearing us wherever else they are, may they believe on you, Lord Jesus, and be saved. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen.